I'm Troy Peters. I'm a composer and a conductor. I work with Yosa Youth Orchestras of San Antonio. I also play in a band called Slowpoke here in San Antonio. And you're listening to the Texas Music Spotlight. the Texas Music Spotlight Podcast, supporting artists and musicians from the great state of Texas. And now, here's your host, Julian. Hi, hello, this is Jules the Human here, and welcome to the Texas Music Spotlight Podcast. I'm back. This is my week. How are you doing? I'm doing great. I'm fantastic. I'm really excited to get this show started. Today, we have Troy Peters, Mr. Peters, as I called him because he was my teacher for Yosa. He was my conductor in Yosa when I was in it in 2010, and it was kind of weird going into uh, calling him Troy Peters because we are uh, sort of in the same, you know, community now, and uh, he's... You know, I'm not his official student, but I still learned a lot from him, and I learned a lot from him in this conversation that's coming up later, so stick around for that. A ton of stuff, pretty awesome episode, and I'm excited. We got to get into it really soon, but first, so like my dad said, we were featured in the Texas Monthly this month, which is pretty awesome. We are one of the 30 things happening in Texas music you need to know about in 2017. And that was fantastic, especially because when we first started, it was just my dad trying to do a thing, starting a podcast, interviewing musicians. And then he asked me to come along. We've been doing this for almost two years now, and it's fantastic. And thank you so much to Texas Monthly for featuring us and putting us on that it was pretty intense to see everybody else that was on there and some of the podcasts and radio shows that were on there as well. It's super awesome to be put in that category with them. Thank you, thank you, thank you so much. And thank you to the listeners. Thank you to everyone that's listening right now. Anybody that that has listened in the past, shared, the, shared an episode, shared it with your friends, your mom, whatever. Thank you so much from the bottom of my heart. It really means a lot. Go follow us on social media at Texas Music Pod on Facebook and Twitter at Texas Music Podcast on Instagram. Go follow, go like and all that stuff. We post articles, we talk about music and all that good stuff. So go check it out. We are also available if you're listening to us from one place, we're available pretty much everywhere. We're on SoundCloud, iTunes, uh, Google Play, pretty much anywhere you get podcasts, any podcatchers as well. Uh, there's a way to find us. Just look us up, Texas Music Spotlight. Again, I wanted to keep this intro short because it's a long conversation. I wanted to get as much as I could out of Troy Peters. I wanted to pick his brain as much as I could because he's a fantastic musician, composer, conductor, all that good stuff. One thing I do want to tell you right at the top, we talk about it a little bit later, you have a chance to play with Yosa at the Tobin Center here in San Antonio, Texas. All you have to do, all the only thing that is required is that you have one member live in Bear County, which is here in San Antonio, and you get to submit a YouTube video of you performing one of the songs off of Hotel California and some other albums. All that information we talk about in the podcast and the link to submit and get the chance to play with Yosa on their show next March, it's in the description of this podcast. So there's a link that's going to send you to Yosa's website and if you have a band, you can play with Yosa. I mean, it's pretty simple. Just submit a video and all that stuff, all the terms, conditions, and how to submit and all that stuff. Again, the link is in the description of the podcast. Go check it out because Troy Peters wants to hear you, wants to have you on the next show. Yeah, it's pretty awesome. I was on one of the shows. I've been a fan. I've been in the audience for almost all of the shows and it's fantastic it sells out there's so many things so many uh, i, I can we get into it just keep listening we get into it so like he said at the top of the episode he does a ton of stuff he wears a ton of different hats plays in a band called slowpoke he's classically trained and all that good stuff conductor for yosa and all that so we're gonna get into the conversation with troy peters right now here's a little piece of yosa performing one of my favorite pieces jupiter by Holst. Right after that, we're going to get into an interview and a very special song at the very end. So make sure to stay tuned, sit back, relax, and listen to the podcast. Right now, my conversation with Troy Peters.
done and uh, I want to, I don't know, give me like the first musical memory, either making the music or something that you heard on the radio with your parents or something like that. Any, your first, you know, introduction to a song or introduction to something musical. Oh man. Well, I was a kid in the seventies. And okay. so for me, the, the first really powerful musical memories were about pop music on the radio. And, and what did pop music this, mean? <laughs> living in this time when there was this really interesting combination of, of radio formats not being quite so split up. So like I vividly remember as a kid that you could hear like sticks and Zeppelin and freak La freak by chic <laughs> and Saturday night fever on the same radio station yeah, in sure. one afternoon, which there's, there's not that same thing no. right now. So the thing I remember, I remember a bunch of different things that were really like, Oh my God, are you kidding me moments? But honestly, like the one that blew me away was getting to know Bohemian Rhapsody by Queen, which I heard first on the radio on like a Saturday afternoon when I was probably six years old. Okay. And then a couple of days later, my brother came home with the LP and I remember listening to it with him he was a teenager he was older than i was and he um listened to the whole a night at the opera album but i like hung out with him and listened to that and just like trying to figure out what all of what was all of that what was going on musically what was going on lyrically and you know i wasn't at all involved in music yet but i just it's the first time that i thought about music as not just something that you enjoy but Mm -hmm. something that you actually think about that you sort of take apart what you know galileo okay what is that and then what is a fandango and you know all these different words that were like completely foreign words and just being like this is cool and and did your you said you had a that was from your brother right did your do you have any other siblings or or? i have an older brother and an older sister and um they were both into music you know so i got to know steve miller band and barry manilow and all kinds of different stuff depending on what they were listening to Mm -hmm. so that kind of I don't know how far along did that shape your musical career or anything like that? Where was anybody in music? Was anybody doing music as a, a job or anything like that? In no, your I mean I come from what I describe as a profoundly non-musical family. Okay, like cool. My, actually, my brother's a really good choral singer, okay. um, and he played in school band as a kid. But basically, my family nobody was a professional musician, and nobody else in my family was especially musical. You know, I, we we sang. My mom is prone to, you know, burst into a, a Broadway song sure, from yeah, now, yeah. now and then or a Frank Sinatra song uh-huh. or whatever. Um, you know, actually, one of the things for me, there's this lots of goofy things my mother used to sing. And then later when I go, got older discovering, oh, my mom didn't just make that up. Like she would sing. <laughs> it's actually a thing. Yeah, she would sing like, I love you, a bushel and a peck, which turns out to be a song from Guys and Dolls. Mm-hmm. I didn't find out that was from Guys and Dolls till I was like 17. I thought that was like my mom's little, yeah, little song <laughs> of affection, you know, and then discovering she stole that from a Broadway show. Oh, wow. But, um, <laughs> what, did, what did your parents do, actually? Um, uh, my father was in the Navy when I was a kid, and then when he retired, he worked in a hospital in the physical plant department, kind of running mm-hmm. machinery and maintaining equipment. Um, my mom was a, a librarian, mm-hmm. Um and um, I came to music through public school music. So okay. fourth grade, an enthusiastic teacher walked into my class, held up a violin and a violin and a cello and a grade. bass. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And then and it's Tacoma, Washington, near Seattle. And uh, the viola was the one I'd never heard of. So I was like, that's cool. I'm going to play the one I've never heard of. That okay. seems like a cool thing to do. Yeah, yeah. Um, and then by the time I was in junior high, um, like seventh grade, I started playing bass guitar um, because frankly because i wanted to get into the stage band you know the jazz band at Mm -hmm. school which in the 80s were called stage bands and uh so i wanted to get into the stage band so i started playing bass um and then as soon as i started doing that i was in like four bands because that's how it works when you're in junior high right yeah definitely you you own a bass and And you you can okay you can play more than a few notes and especially once i bought an amp then i was in like six bands. oh you're good yeah exactly you could have toured and all right exactly (laughs) yeah so that meant it was you know that by then it's like 1983 Two and I'm learning, you know, like early Elvis Costello and REM and sure. U2 songs and, um, you know, the My Sharona by The mm. Knack and The Clash. And, you know, this really, that's the other thing that's really interesting when you're in a given time, right? Like punk and 
pop and all these things are more, especially in that time period, we're more woven in together. And now we think of those as different things. Like you don't think of Pat Benatar and The Clash as being that related. But when you were living through that, they were on the same radio station. They were were liked by the same people. And Hit Me With Your Best Shot is just as punchy and engaging as should I stay or should I go? Yeah. You when know, you they, put them by, side by side, it's right. definitely, but like genre, whenever you specify like this is so-and-so genre, this is so-and-so, whatever, they're going to be separated in these two aisles. And it's like, oh, okay, I guess this is how we should look at it. Right. So that's the way we kind of do that. Right. So, And I think actually we're in a place now where genres are more clearly split up than they might have been in the 70s and 80s. You definitely. Know? Um and that's also how my head works. Like, you know, I'm a classical musician who loves lots of different kinds of music. Mm-hmm. And so I'm always thinking about how can I mix things together? How can I tear down walls between sure. things? And how can I just steal ideas? <laughs> so. We'll definitely get into that with uh, what you're doing with Yosa very soon. But what you said right now, you said you're a classical musician that likes a lot of other music. I don't find that many classical musicians do like, or, or they're not very you know, open to that kind of stuff. I don't know. Maybe that's that's who I've been, you know, grown up with or go, went to college with and stuff like that. But there's not many out there musicians that are... I mean, have have you found that to be a thing? Or, or you know, are you alone in this? You know, I'm not, I'm not alone. No, no okay. I mean, I think... I get what you're saying. I mean, I think there's... When you're... Especially when you're in school. When you're in sure. at the university level or you're in conservatory... There's a an there's an element of being, um, you know, like aspiring to be a serious musician that, like, you know, like in any any musician in any style at 19 thinks they know everything about all kinds of music <laughs> yeah. and are perfect. Like 19 year olds are willing to tell you all the things that are crap, right? They're willing to diss everything. Mm-hmm. Oh, the Britney Spears is crap. I hate yeah, that stuff. For sure. Well, like then as they go through life they often become more willing to be like, oh, actually, you know what? That's kind of an amazing song. Um, and I find the same thing is true with classical musicians. That uh-huh. When you talk to classical musicians in their 40s and 50s, like they're much more willing to be like, oh man, you know, this cellist who just played Brahms is sure. willing to be like, you know, I listened to that Emerson, Lake, and Palmer record until it wore out, uh-huh. and here's what I love about it. And, um, you know, I, I think, think... So it's like a maturity thing. Yeah, think? I think yeah. so. And I think, honestly, I really do think... It's the same thing I see with... With um, young indie musicians who hate country, for sure. example, or thirty years ago, it was rock musicians who hate hip hop. Like it now, more in, it's like everybody acknowledges you got to you, you got to listen to hip hop and 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 like dig deep there. There's yeah, stuff to there, get right. There's a lot of stuff. But in the late '80s and early '90s, like it wasn't that way. It really was like you know, hip hop was either cheesy pop rap or it was it was just not our thing it was Mm -hmm. a different thing and vice versa you know so so i think there is a maturity thing of being able to listen beyond your own vocabulary i think listeners who aren't musicians are actually much more open-minded most of the time about that for sure you know you you, your neck you talk to your next door neighbor and they went to see the scorpions and they went to see bruno mars yeah. and there no there's no no and there's weirdness nothing there. There. Yeah, yeah there's nothing they're like oh yeah i did this and i went to here the next day and it's like right. oh okay but like yeah I know and my mean. uncle invited me to go to neil diamond and that was cool too like yeah you know it's just like it's all stuff they may not, might not be their favorite thing but like it's the more into music you are the more you tend to dismiss the stuff that's not your stuff right mm-hmm. that said i think the best musicians i know are usually able in any style are usually able to recognize oh wait there's something to learn here mm-hmm. like if you don't understand that there's something to learn from hank williams senior or billy holiday you're not listening closely enough mm-hmm. you don't have to think that's your favorite music no but same and the same thing with classical music you know that 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 it, from the outside of it you know what can you learn from classical music from the inside of it what can you learn from musicians and other styles mm-hmm. um can i tell you that the breakthrough moment for me on that sure it really, I was, um, I grew up without these barriers. Like I grew up loving lots of different kinds of music mm-hmm. and I always had a passionate like attachment to, you know, Springsteen and Prince, like mm-hmm. my whole life, even while I was studying in a classical conservatory. But I also, you know, I was a classical musician. So I was like, I still had a kind of a hierarchy in my brain. Sure. Like, you know, there's pop music and there's real music. And then when <laughs> I was, um, about 32, no, 31, I started working closely with Trey Anastasio, the singer and guitarist from the band Fish. Mm-hmm. Um, and 
you know, and a lot of people immediately go, oh, Fish, jam bands. I don't like jam bands. But go listen to Fish. Like, the musicianship in that band is, sure. is through the roof. Those guys uh-huh. are incredible, right? So I started working closely with Trey, doing orchestra music with him, creating orchestrations for Fish songs and his solo records, and also helping him write orchestra music, being sort of his uh, secretary in a way. And I sat down with this guy who didn't have the music theory vocabulary that I had. And at first I was like, okay, I'm going to have to teach him how to do this. And about five hours into the process, it was really clear to me, oh, wait, he's teaching me how to do this. Sure. He's so fluent with this. Um, you know, he would come in with his guitar and sing one melody, play something else on the guitar. And then, like, once we had that down, he'd be like, okay, good. Now, right back over that, I want the cellos to do this. And he'd play that on the guitar. Uh-huh. And then he'd play it again, but add a percussion groove that he was beatboxing. Yeah, in. sure. And all of this is existing in his head and all these layers. Uh-huh in a level of fluency where I'm like, oh, he knows what he's doing and he can hear so many layers. Uh Um, And it really made me think like, you don't, we don't have to use the same vocabulary for, for there to be like fluency and virtuosity. Definitely. That's what I'm, I'm slowly finding. I mean, I already found that out, but like it happens even more every day for me. Cause like I came back from UNT and all that stuff. And then I want to be a trombonist. I was a classical trombonist for so long, get into Vulcan, Dear Vibes and all that stuff. And then now I'm talking to quote unquote indie musicians and stuff like that. But, uh, you know, to some people there'd be like, if if I was a different person, I would have my my nose up here and just like oh looking down on them. They're just indie musicians or whatever, but they're talking the same language. Like uh, a couple of days ago or a couple of weeks ago, I worked with Harvey McLaughlin. He got my name from you, I, I think, and uh, I was working with him on stuff. And he doesn't have the. Uh, I mean, he's a fantastic musician. I had him on the podcast, and he doesn't have the same you know uh, vocabulary as, as like you were saying. But he knew what he wanted. He knew what he wanted. He knew what to do and how to get it done. And we communicated that way through music in a different way than I would just like, oh, we need to do this, this, and here. But he's like, do jam right here, whatever. And it's like, I want you to, yeah, like that, like stuff like that. And it's like fantastic to hear somebody else hear the same music but get it a completely different way and it's like oh man and we just kind of collaborate so that's been happening to me a lot and i've been finding that out and that's super cool that uh musicians can just do that so going on you are playing bass in a ton of bands in in sort of middle school high school what are you doing and and when did you decide that you wanted to i don't know i guess get serious about music or go on into college and all that stuff what what was that kind of deciding about well so for like by the time i was in eighth grade i'd played in enough you know i played in enough bands that i understood that you know you cover songs and you write songs and and it's no big deal to write a song and so since i was also playing the viola and um in the sort of orchestra world to me it felt like the same idea if i could write a song for my band i could write a string quartet sure um, so I need to figure out how to make that happen. Uh-huh. What 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 skills do I need to be able to make that work? So by the time I got to the end of high school, I was a composer. I was somebody who was writing a yeah. lot of music. Um, I was doing a little bit of conducting at with my school groups what, and stuff what like that. Was the composition were the compositions good? Do you like? They were okay. Yeah? I mean, okay. you know, they were and they were, um, you know, they were. For lack of a better word, they were classical music. You know, sure. I was trying to write okay. in the language of modern classical music in in that time, and so I've got I've got actually I've got a piece I wrote when I was fourteen years oh, old awesome. that still gets played a lot. A little duet for clarinet yeah, and bassoon. Very cool. Um, so you know, there are pieces I wrote in my teens that were that were pretty solid, pretty yeah. well crafted. Um, I had some good teachers, and I um, not I didn't really have a composition teacher, but I had a really great theory teacher who helped me understand okay, some that's things. Awesome. But so I got to the end of high school and. I was honestly not sure that I was going to go into music because I didn't know. I grew up in the Seattle area and I didn't know how good I was. I wasn't, I, w- I wasn't sure that I could make it. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, my thinking was, I don't want to do this if I can't do it at a high level. Sure. So at my senior year, I was like, I'm going to apply to five colleges that are just, you know, normal guy colleges where I might eventually go into law or politics or something mm-hmm. like that. I'm going to apply to five music schools. And because I was a an obnoxious teenager, I applied to like Juilliard and the Curtis sure. Institute of Music and Oberlin <laughs> and like top music uh-huh. schools. And was like, my thinking was, if I can't get into one of these top schools, then I'm not going to do this. Mm-hmm. Um, and I was very lucky that I got into um, a school in Philadelphia called the Curtis Institute of Music. It's where Leonard Bernstein went to school Fantastic. and a bunch of other yeah. great American musicians. 
And uh, so when I got that acceptance letter, I went, okay, so I'm going to try this. Um, freaked my parents out. They were very uncomfortable with that idea. But um, like many generations of musicians for hundreds of years, sure. I, I powered through. Was, um, was, the, was the whole money thing uh, an issue with them? Like, you're not going to make enough money being a musician? Or what do you think? Or did they really know the scope of music as being a musician then? Uh, or how was that sort of generation? How did that generation think of musicians then? Oh, it's definitely about making a living. Yeah. Okay. I mean, sure. you know, and I get that. I'm a parent. Yeah, I have a, a 10 year old sure. and a 13 year old and, and I don't want my kids to struggle to make a living. Yeah. You want your kids to have comfort and safety. Mm-hmm. And so when your kid is talking about pursuing a career that has a high level of financial risk, any smart parent would say, are you sure you want to do this? Sure. Here's what it looks like. So they did that, but you know, they didn't have as much of a frame of reference to, uh, know what was possible. So it was mostly the negative picture. Mm-hmm. That said, they never, you know, they never, it wasn't like, oh, we, we disown you or, oh, sure. we won't support you. I mean, the bottom line is they were there for me. They supported me. They just were very clear about, are you sure? Um, mm-hmm. cause here's the thing. This is, this is a risky choice. Yeah. Um, sure. but I, you know, I'm always careful to be like, they, it's not like they, some people actually get kicked out of their house and that kind of yeah. thing. It was none of that. It was just, you know, what are you thinking? Mm-hmm. Um, cause I also got into some pretty good schools on the non music side of things. Mm-hmm. And uh, they, they, it sort of seemed like a, a head scratcher to them, mm-hmm. um, you know. And then I had, luckily, I had the good fortune of being able to get to the point where, when I was in my late twenties, early thirties, and I'd had enough success as a conductor and composer to perform it at, uh, you know, t- for the, the one night, you know, conducting a, an orchestra in Carnegie Hall and having my dad um, be able to say, "Well, you know, I'm glad that you stuck with this. I'm glad you yeah. you you went for what you wanted to do." Because um, clearly it's worked out. Um, Very cool. You know. So so being uh, on stage a lot, doing some some high profile shows, and and we do have uh, musicians, we have non musicians, people that I don't know from not even from Texas that listen, whatever. Do you? Some people are musicians that get on stage sometimes, and they still. I mean, me, I still get pretty scared. I mean, I talked at a panel right now, I was like scared out of my pants. <laughs> still, but like, do you have any, uh, you know, anything that you can give people to help? you know, getting over anxiety or, or stage fright or anything like that, because you have done some, some pretty big things and, and still doing some amazing stuff. But do you have any ways that you can get past that? Or, you know, what do you, do you have any like rituals you do before you get on a stage or anything like that? You know, I find that the thing that makes, that makes stage fright less of an issue or anxiety less of an issue mm-hmm. is, um, just comfort with repetition, right? When you the more the more gigs you play with Volkan, sure. the easier it gets, yep. right? Every time you go on stage and you've played these songs another dozen times, mm-hmm. it just starts to feel like what could possibly go wrong? Like sure. we own this stuff, yeah. right? And you get the feedback from the crowd, and whatever. So just doing it makes it easier. But then you have those high-profile gigs. Like you show up and you find out a promoter is in the audience or another artist is in the mm-hmm. audience or you um, get invited to sit in with some other band that you really look up to. Yeah. So for me, you know, at this point when I'm conducting the YOSA, the Youth Orchestra of San Antonio, sure. when I'm with my youth orchestra kids, I, the nerves don't really enter into that. That's, that's just something I do. The first time I conducted the San Antonio Symphony, when I first came to San Antonio, I was extremely nervous, and that anxiety is a huge part of the picture. Now I've worked with them enough that I don't feel a lot of anxiety when I work with them, mm. but then there'll be a time where a particular person's at the rehearsal or we're doing something that's sure. more high stakes. You walk into a particular venue uh, for the first time, sometimes that can play a role. But uh, So it never. I guess what I'd say is it never goes away for mm-hmm. me. Like Anxiety is about your own belief in yourself and the more um confident you are in your abilities the easier it is to to tamp down that anxiety so therefore being prepared is the best way to reduce it practicing more rehearsing more and sometimes it's still going to be there you know Mm -hmm. and for me like the only the only negative about it is it messes with your ability to control tempo or time and it really can mess with uh, you're breathing for a wind player, of for course. Sure. But, um, you know, I, I try and stay in touch with it, I guess, because, you know, because I don't feel a lot of it when I'm conducting now. Mm-hmm. Uh, I have this band, uh, this indie folk band called mm-hmm. Slowpoke, 
And there are a lot of reasons I do that. But honestly, sure. one of them is because I'm not comfortable doing it. Because for Very me cool. to play ukulele, I'm sorry, not to play mandolin, the other, my friend in the band plays ukulele. Sure. Why don't play you mandolin say everybody and, that, what are they, well, so what's the instrumentation? So when that? I do that, uh-huh. it, it keeps me in touch with anxiety sure. because like I'm not completely fluent. So my friend Richard Keith play, sings, he's the main songwriter, he plays ukulele. He and I actually went to high school together in the Very Seattle good. area and then ended up out here. I play mandolin, a little bit of tenor banjo, uh, melodica, sing backup, a little bit of songwriting. Our bass player is Brandon Henson, who's also a co-worker of mine at Yosa. Mm-hmm. And then uh, lately we've been playing with Dominic Walsh as our drummer, who mm-hmm. um, a lot of people will know from 16 Psyche or from Elna's. He's in Elna Lopez's band, mm-hmm. um, Elna. And he's uh, played with a bunch of other bands. He's yeah, actually sure. played a show with Buttercup and lots of other people. Yeah. But he's a young drummer who grew up in Yosa. And he kind of learned to play drum set while he was a Yosa musician. Mm-hmm. And then um, has gone out and been become a, a real part of the San Antonio scene. For sure. So you, you're you in college or out of college and moving forward with your life, late, tw- late 20s, early 30s or anything like that. When did you decide or what was your first time getting into youth orchestras or when did you decide you want to do that or did you decide to do that or how, how did that life event take place? I went to school as a composer um, and uh, all my degrees are in music composition. Okay. When I was 19 years old, uh, beginning of my sophomore year in college, there was an opening for the assistant conductor job with the Philadelphia Youth Orchestra. Um, and uh, traditionally it had been Curtis students, the place I was going to school, who had been the assistant conductors. I didn't get the job that time. They hired a friend of mine, but I joined the orchestra and started to uh, play with them because their age limit was like 22. So I could play while I was in college. It was a good way to just keep my chops sure. up. And then when I was 21... Um, that previous assistant conductor left and I joined, I became the assistant conductor of the youth orchestra. The same time I was working at a youth orchestra summer camp where I had grown up. And through, so through my undergraduate years, I started to realize, oh, this youth orchestra thing, like this is kind of cool. This works pretty well for mm-hmm. me. Um, and so by the time I was in grad school and thinking about, you know, okay, how do I make a living? I was already getting hired to um, substitute for other youth orchestras in the Philadelphia area. And I was um, working a lot with Philadelphia Youth Orchestra and just kind of realized, like, I really like this thing of exposing young musicians to great music. Like, you know, if you think back to your own experience, what it feels like the first time you get to play, like, an amazing Tchaikovsky symphony or or something like that, where you're just like, oh, my God. God, this is such a great, yeah. like that feeling of being in an orchestra of a hundred people and just wailing on Dvorak or something like that yeah, is a and blast. I, and I'll even say that Yosa was my first experience with that. And I was just like, holy crap, I need to do more of this stuff because for some reason I didn't know about Yosa Youth Orchestra of San Antonio here in San Antonio, Texas, um, that Troy Peters is uh, heading and what we're talking about. Um, and I, played in it for the 20 2009 2010 year and then we went to china we'll talk about that and all that but uh i didn't know about yosa for some reason i don't know how i just didn't get into it and nobody really told me about it and then once i found out i was like yo have y'all heard about this yosa thing and they're like yeah of course i'm like why didn't anyone tell me about this i was there in jefferson high school just doing trombone stuff and i wanted more like i was kind of at i don't I guess I'll say I was at the top of the trombone stuff. I was kind of at a different level of music. And I was just like, I'm just here. Like, I'm trying to be better, but nobody else is at my level. And I want that. I want something challenging. And then some. Uh, I forgot how I got into it, but I got into Yosa, uh, principal trombonist at the last year for high school. And that just, like, was amazing just because I got to play with these other musicians that were at my level that were doing this whole orchestra thing. I didn't, I knew I was going to do that in college, but I didn't know how to do it really. I never really had that exposure and definitely it was uh, a great experience. And we went to um, China and played and all that stuff, but yeah, so that, that was fulfilling for you. And you saw that you saw these something light, in their eyes the kids and all that stuff like this spark was going off or 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 something was happening and you you wanted to be a part of that and you wanted to guide that is that what you're saying yeah and i mean i like i love conducting professional orchestras right it's but it's not it's not that you don't even when things go well you don't feel that um energy and passion on stage because it's it's 
it's it's i mean don't get me wrong the listener can feel that and the musicians can deliver that but they're going to work it's a gig and and even the, i don't mean they don't care they no. care uh-huh. but it's not this it's just like the difference between being married 20 years and falling in love for the first mm-hmm. time like there's just a different level of of energy and intensity and, and sure. wildness and sloppiness about it right yeah. and when you so when you're doing a beethoven symphony with a bunch of 16 17 year olds there's just this like oh my god can you believe this yeah. energy that's fun to be around and i think i'm pretty good at fostering it and um you know creating that space for that to happen mm-hmm. so in my when i was 26 i i got hired to be the music director of the vermont youth orchestra in burlington vermont moved up there um, and that was my first you know sort of full-time gig sure um and i was there for 14 years and then i came to san antonio um and uh been here now for eight years Very so cool. yeah uh, that's been the core of my conducting career but like i say i also do conduct professional orchestras um in a lot of different places and honestly for the last almost 20 years a big part of that work has been this idea of connecting rock musicians to orchestra yeah um, sure. conducting bands and singers with orchestra in various capacities, sometimes orchestrating and arranging for that um, to, to try and connect those dots. Yeah, I, I definitely want to get into that. Before that, I want to stick with uh, the Yosa thing. How how do you balance that sort of... Um, because when you're working with kids between... What are, what are the ages between Yosa? Like um, the youngest is... 11 or something with well the, the orchestra stuff? the orchestra i work with sure. is our top group called the yosef philharmonic yeah, yeah. most uh-huh. advanced kids that's basically high school with a handful of college kids and a handful of eighth graders mm-hmm. um we have a system of of seven different i'm sorry nine different levels where we've got kids as young as seven years old mm-hmm. um but the kids in the orchestra i'm working directly with are basically the best high school and uh, musicians in town with Very a handful cool. of others. Yeah. So, so how do you handle that? Um, finding that that line between. Uh, being very professional, but then you kind of have to keep them engaged, or you know, you can be silly at some points. I know you 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 get kind of silly sometimes. How do you keep that? You know, towing the line of that and keeping their attention, keeping them being better every week, but also you know, being that guy that they can come to or. You know, I, I want to know how, how you handle that personally, because I think you do it very well. That's why. Well, I screw it up a lot, too. You know, it's <laughs> it's like it's really easy to be. Um, first of all, not everybody in the room needs the same thing. Right. Sure. So sometimes what's working for 60 percent of people isn't working for the other 40 percent of people. So sometimes. I'm too stern and sometimes I'm too goofy and sometimes I'm moving too fast and sometimes I'm moving too slow for somebody in the room. No matter what you do, somebody's not going to be on the same page you are on. And part of being a conductor is just being like, well, okay, that's how it's going to work. Like I got to be, I got to be what I can be to try and move this forward. The best piece of advice I ever got was from my youth orchestra conductor growing up who now is the director of orchestras at Duke University um, and also works with the Cleveland Institute of Music doing opera. And he was my youth orchestra conductor in Tacoma, Washington in the 80s. When I was in my mid-20s and thinking about this when I was taking my first big job, he said to me, remember that the podium that you stand on is like a personality x-ray machine. And when you're on a podium in front of an orchestra, everybody knows if you're not being yourself. So all you can do is be yourself. If you're inauthentic, we can tell. Very and true. the reason orchestras get frustrated with conductors is because they feel like phonies. Don't be a phony and you'll be fine. Mm-hmm. And so that's that's been my kind of guiding principle my whole career. It's, it's why I'm actually a little goofy when I work with professional orchestras too. <laughs> sure. I'm professional, I hope, but I'm but <clears throat> I'm not um I'm not unwilling to make a joke or to be uh, I don't make a joke for the sake of entertaining them. Yeah, sure. I make a joke because something funny happens and I react to it. Mm-hmm. Um, because I want to be present. I want to be in the moment. I don't want to waste anybody's time. Um, but I want to you know, make being at work fun. And so when I work with youth orchestras, it's not that different, except that I'm aware that I have a little bit more of an obligation to bring them along. And mm-hmm. I'm especially aware they don't already know as much as the pros do. So I've got to be careful to make sure that they are given the tools they need to do the work. Awesome. Um, So, but you know, every single week I come home and think, well, I did this right and this right, but I screwed this up and try to be better the next time. 
Yeah, is that is that a thing that you? I I know for like professionals that do very well or somebody that's successful, they do have a lot of self assessment, and I think that's a pretty necessary. And definitely with musicians, we grow up doing those self assessments a lot because we record ourselves, we do all that other stuff to try and get better. But for you know the regular person, they don't really self assess them a whole lot. But I think that's very important to be successful. Like say, being okay with saying, "Hey, I didn't do that well. Next time, I'll do it." really well or hey i learned from this and all that um so is is you know do you self-assess like you said you come home you say hey do you record your uh, rehearsals anymore for your own sake i know a lot of people do um do you do any of that or how much do you look at yourself and what you're doing i mean all most conductors use video from time to time to look at what you're doing with the with your hands yeah for me, I don't record rehearsals uh, really at all anymore. Okay. It's more just, you know, kind of thinking about right after the event, right after the rehearsal, right after the concert. Um, okay, what what was I happy with? What was I unhappy with? And, and how did I make it happen or not make it happen? I assume that that the problem is something that, that I can have an impact on. You know, I mean, obviously, if a, if a brass player misses a high note, it's not exactly my fault. Yeah, sure. But I do ask myself, is there a way that I could help them be safer next time? Is mm-hmm. there a way I could set the stage for them to succeed more? Um, you know, so yeah, I think it's important. I think you've got to be willing to own that a lot of it belongs to you. What's weird about being a conductor is you've also got to acknowledge you're the only musician on stage who doesn't make any sound. And so you you can only do so much. Mm-hmm. Um, you can... Sure, certainly get in the way and screw things up and you can make things uh, better, especially with younger musicians. Um, but you can't produce the sounds. So, you know, I'm, I'm really, I don't know. I'm really, I think a lot about it and I'm really brutally critical of myself. Sure. Um, I had a rehearsal with the <clears throat> San Antonio symphony just about a year and a half ago. That was the worst conducting I've done in 20 years. And wow. I, in a rehearsal, I, just screwed the pooch i just we got to the end of the rehearsal the time ran out we had to stop and we had to perform the next day and we had a piece of music that was in a scary place um and i went home that night and was like man you know i i'm i'm i don't know i may never work with this orchestra again i may never i don't know what's going to happen yeah um and it was my fault there were other factors that weren't within my control but i should have done a better job than Uh i did and so the next day I showed up and and I talked to a couple of players before it started. All right, I'm going to do this here. And, you know, I got this. And they looked at me and said, yeah, we know you got this. And and it helped that a lot of them had worked with me before and trusted me. Sure. Um, but, and the concert went okay, you know. But I, there's no question that, that then I, what I guess what I'm trying to say is, like, no matter how far into your career you get, you're, you you stumble sometimes. Mm-hmm. And I've I've heard people like Yo-Yo Ma and Paul McCartney talk about the same thing, that like not every night is going to be your best work. Sure. And so what do you do when you feel like you didn't deliver your best work? How do you turn that around? For me, it's it's just like starting with, I'm going to acknowledge my my ownership and responsibility of this, and I have to fix it. Here I go. I'm fixing it. Mm-hmm. That's pretty awesome. So let's go into some fun times that you've had through music we actually um i was talking about how i i did yosa in the 2009 2010 uh that was the year the the first year i was in it we were like okay we're gonna go to china i was like oh my god this this thing's cool but they do it every so every other year however long um but troy's gonna tell you about that but where has been some of the best experiences? Where have you been with music or with a youth orchestra? Where has this taken you? And and some maybe of your best times and, and where that happened with. So travel is a really cool part of the youth orchestra picture. <laughs> and, and with Yosa, we tour every two years. Um, and with my previous orchestra, we toured every two years. Um, when I was working in Philadelphia, we toured every two years. So over the course of my career, I've gone on... Uh, probably about 14 international tours. Uh Um, And there's no question, it's a really great, exciting thing to do, both the the musical aspect of playing concerts in front of an audience from a completely different culture and also just the tourism aspect, right? Mm -hmm. You get to be with a group of people who are all, you know, friendly with each other and just have this great life experience together. Um, For me, I'm sorry, for me, I, um, 
you know, I've had, all the tours have been great, but there have been definitely some mountaintop moments, and a lot of it has to do with performance elements. Like sure. last summer in uh, 2016, Yosa went to Prague in the Czech Republic, played in a concert hall there that uh, was especially um, amazing. Smetna mm-hmm. Hall in Prague was oh. just uh, just breathtakingly beautiful concert hall. Big house. We had, you know, probably 1,200 people, and we're playing music by Dvorak, a Czech composer in Prague, in this remarkable concert hall. Yeah. And, you know, you, you, you have all these great emotional experiences, but you also have musical experiences. For me, what was great, part of what was great about that was there are things about the way Dvorak writes for woodwinds in his orchestration that always felt a little bit awkward to me, like didn't balance perfectly. And I swear to you, standing on stage in the concert hall in Prague, all of a sudden it balanced perfectly. Yeah. And it was like, oh, okay. So that's, because he wrote. he wrote for this room. He wrote for, or rooms like this. Uh-huh. He wrote for a concert hall that was designed like this. Wow. And when I'm in this room, it works. Yeah. Um, and um, that was that was a great experience. You know, there's, there's the fun aspects of travel that come from who you get to interact with. Um, when I was in my 20s, we were in Jordan and the king of Jordan and uh, and the queen of Jordan came to this concert and then we got to meet them afterwards and that's a fun experience. Um, and then for me, I've also had this aspect in my life because of the collaborations with um, rock musicians of just wacky, fun opportunities that classical musicians don't usually get. You know, working with Tran Anastasio on a, his solo band, doing a show at Radio City Music Hall where we had a group of string players who came on for a couple of tunes near the end of the show. And then for the encore, uh, he was touring at that point with Ciro Batista, who's a Brazilian percussionist, right? And Ciro uh, led basically like a carnival parade of the whole band out into the audience and then out out of the front of Radio City onto... um, what seventh avenue or whatever it is sure. at that point and um you know around the corner back to the stage door and then the musicians kind of went back in the stage door and the whole audience was just out in the street new york city cops did not love that but the um <laughs> but being you know just being in this conga line kind yeah. of like going through the audience and having thousands of people follow us out into the street and the energy and spontaneity of that you know it's just it, it's just a neat thing to to be a musician who gets to um be in the middle of of uh, the energy that people get out of performance. For sure. And what else are you doing with Yosa? You've done some album. You're incorporating not just classical music and not just bringing classical music to San Antonio, but also incorporating indie rock bands, rock bands, different kinds of bands and music into the classical setting, sort of. And why don't you talk about the the performances you've done already and what you have lined up coming up next year in 2018 so uh i've been fortunate enough to play on one of those so that, that was pretty cool and i've seen some other ones so um yeah they're all super cool so i don't know what to talk about it well so yosa does this thing called classic classic albums live and it, it it's really born out of this i believe that you know the the classical performing arts opera ballet symphony orchestras there's this whole like relevance conversation. Is this music relevant? Are these institutions relevant? How are they going to survive financially? Well, one of the things I really fervently believe is that your your biggest obligation is to be something connected to your community in a meaningful way. How can you do something that is puro San Antonio? How sure. can you do something that is about the community you're in? Well, I'm not a San Antonian, right? Like I don't I don't I didn't grow up here. I'm not I don't live and breathe this city. But I've paid attention and tried to get to know this city. And so one of the things that was very clear to me in my first couple of years here is there is a great local music scene. I think a lot of cities have a great local music Mm -hmm. scene. But I love the energy here of this sort of confluence of um, Tejano culture and Conjunto and, and indie and punk there are different ways they intertwine and that I'm still learning about. Mm. But I started to think about when I was early in my time here, I saw Buttercup, which is a band that I'd heard of before I even moved here and found out that at the time there, they were, they had two guys playing in the band um, who were the children of, of Emilio Navarra, the Tejano star. And honestly, being new to San Antonio, I didn't know a lot about Emilio, sure. but I knew the name. I knew uh-huh. he was a big deal. Um, and 
to me, that was instantly kind of intriguing. Like Emilio's kids are playing in this indie band, but it's like an older indie band (laughs) and they're the young guys in this band. And like, what does all that mean? And then I found out that Joe Reyes, their guitarist is teaching them how to play Beatles songs like really, really well. And, And me just kind of going like, Oh, so there's this interweaving here of of, and then I kept finding other instances of sure. this of like you know guys who were in mariachi groups who then would be playing in the mega church on Sunday morning, playing mm-hmm. in the church orchestra, and then I'd see on a recording gig for a commercial jingle or whatever, and being like, you know, it's all interwoven. Yeah, I get there, it's also not right. There's segregation stylistically and racially and all these other things. There are elements that are where there are walls and divisions, but there's a unique kind of 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 flavor here of and i thought to myself so okay for me as a classical musician what can i how can i connect with that Mm -hmm. and so i started to think about putting a show together where you could have a variety of bands all on one bill with an orchestra how would you do that well one obvious way to do that to me in terms of uh, the musical hook to get everybody together and also frankly how you get an audience would be to do a sort of a tribute show um and i started from the idea of what's an album that means a lot to musicians um radiohead's okay computer is a record that classical musicians under 50 love sure and that indie <laughs> musicians in their 30s and 40s and 50s love or 30s and 40s at least and that you know that people that that hip hop musicians love that all because it had a huge huge impact yeah and so i was just like you know a lot of people are gonna it, musicians will instantly be like oh yeah i know okay computer yeah absolutely i know that i i want to be part of it yeah so we did um in uh, 2015 we did okay computer live we had 12 different bands and very specifically tried to have um bands where we had a mix of of men and women fronting the bands where we had um hispanic musicians um in a really visible clear part of the of the you know of the of the mix just trying to like in other words not have it be a bunch of like skinny white guys who look like radio for sure yeah. right but to have it be um a a blend of different looks and a blend of different sounds so we had some country and we had some r&b and we had some a lot of indie on that bill and um and then of course i tried to create orchestrations to have the orchestra kind of play the role of the electronic sounds so that all of the sort of electronic layers and soundscapes on the record would exist somewhere in the orchestra, which was a really fun project for me. Yeah, and I, I was in the audience for that one. It was just fantastic. Like the the vibe that everybody, because you know everybody knew the album and you can feel it. And everybody's waiting for their favorite part or whatever, and it was just like, oh, it was just magnetic. It was just intense. So right, and the and honestly, <coughs> you know, the kids in the orchestra in some ways were the least. Uh, excited about it not because not because they didn't like it but because they for them there were most of them were young enough that like (coughs) radiohead was not quite as meaningful for them or it's quite as big a deal before we started the show once we did it of course they they were all huge fans um yeah they they discovered that's another way you can discover radiohead right exactly my orchestra's playing it right it's like oh well so i'm gonna go listen to it yeah here's all the albums (laughs) and honestly that's another piece of this for me is like you know what I do is is bring young musicians into understanding what's amazing and great about Beethoven or Tchaikovsky or Dvorak or Stravinsky. Well, I also can bring them into understanding what's amazing about the Beatles or Prince for and sure. So it was a big success. We had a huge house. It had a it had a big impact. I think there are some musicians in San Antonio, frankly, whose careers were helped by it, um, who got for some sure. exp- yeah. exposure and Definitely. acclaim. And um, so then I, I looked at it and said to myself, you know, I want these shows to always be landmark albums. You know, I don't want to just say, oh, we're going to do a tribute to whatever band. Like, I want this to be built around an album. Because for a classical music guy, it's like playing a Brahms symphony. Sure. It's saying like, you know, Prince's Purple Rain is a great record. And yeah, you don't know every song, but you know almost every song. And the whole record hangs together, and we're gonna we're gonna explore this as a work of art. Sure, um, and it's just like feeds the music geek side of me. Yeah, but it also gives this opportunity to have a variety of different voices. So we've done over the last couple of years, we did OK Computer, we did The Beatles, Abbey Road, um, which you were yeah, on yeah. stage for. We did Prince's Purple Rain, um, and I've also been very conscious of trying to 
<clears throat> kind of curate a, a collection of guest artists from a variety of styles. I mean, it's definitely still indie is a big part of the For core sure. of the enterprise, um, partially because it's music that I'm sympathetic to mm-hmm. and partially just because I think San Antonio has a lot of strength in that area. Mm-hmm. But I'm really proud of the fact that it's become a recognizable brand to the point that like every single time we do one, people are being like, okay, what's the next album? Mm-hmm. How are you going to approach this? You know, uh, suggesting things obviously. <laughs> and, uh, which is a lot of fun. I've got a big list now, stuff we're going to get to. So in 2018 and in, in, uh, March, we're going to do the Eagles hotel, California. Um, and I will openly cop to the fact that another factor in this is it has become so successful that we, um, the revenue from the concert is a sure. big piece of supporting what Yosa does for kids, right? It's in a, in a lot of ways, a, f- a fundraising event that benefits what we do for our kids. Mm-hmm. So we're doing this so that we can offer more opportunities to young musicians. But part of what that means is I'm not doing in the airplane over the sea. Or I'm not doing like Al- you know, Elliot Smith or albums that I love, but that might not have the same ticket sales sure. appeal, at least not yet. Uh-huh. Um, and, you know, we found so far that going with really <clears throat> recognizable albums um, brings in audience. But I think it's also a great opportunity for the musicians. Musicians Like, you not be, you might not be the world's biggest Eagles fan, but if you listen to Hotel California, like, there's actually this incredible variety of uh. styles of songs. And the, mater- the songs are so well put together that they can become country or jazz or they can become... Um, you know, they could have a Latin tinge or they could be, you know, we did When Doves Cry as a mariachi tune on the last concert. Yeah. Like there's a way to come at these songs from different angles. Sure. And and definitely the albums you've picked already and the Eagles, they lend themselves to that openness of what, you know, any musician can bring. And that's something super cool that these albums have differently where I can see, as you said, like you're not going to pick certain albums because like, whatever, not yet, but these albums that you have picked are definitely interesting because when you're there listening to all of OK Computer or all the Beatles, whatever, and you're just like in the audience, you're like, whoa, I didn't know this album could get so like out there. Or I didn't know it had this in, it had, this one song can be done this way or, right. or this, there's a female vocalist now or whatever and stuff like that. And it's been fantastic watching this grow and seeing uh, both as a musician and from just an audience member, just saying like, hey, this is something really cool and something that uh, San Antonio definitely has taken a liking to and something that's, uh, as you're saying, plays into the culture that we have. And it it, it is it does go to your authenticity, like you were saying earlier, that you didn't come out here and say, I'm going to play this stuff, I'm going to play whatever I want, I'm the new leader of the classical music in san antonio or whatever it was you just saying coming in seeing like looking around like what's around here how can i help or how can i get into this i want to be here for you i want to be here for the culture i want to be here for san antonio whatever and it was that authenticity that now you're like okay working with so many people here in san antonio and you're a fantastic person that a lot of people know about and you're like you know doing all these things and i think that's definitely uh pretty awesome that you did it that way you know what i mean it was it's a deliberate thing, you know, sure. like we want, I really, really want this to be meaningful to the musicians involved and to the audience. So like <clears throat> that, that, that drives a lot of it. And in fact, for the next show, uh, we're extending that to, um, an open call for mm-hmm. guest artists. So right now on the Yoso website, we have an open call for guest artists that's open through December 15th, where we ask people to submit video of any, song from Hotel California or one of the Eagles greatest hits albums. And from that, I'm going to curate the get group of guest artists. Now there might be guest artists who are people I'm just inviting as well, sure. but at least half of the guest artists on the show will come from the video. And honestly, it could be all of them. It depends on what I find in the videos, mm-hmm. you know what, but I'm really excited about the idea of getting to know acts. I don't already know. Yeah. Cause well, of course, one of the things that's happened, I'm really proud of this. Like I've had a whole bunch of people who are mad at me who've come to me and been like, how come you didn't have me on this show? Yeah. And honestly, half the time the answer is like, um, okay, hi, who are you? Yeah, like, for sure. Send me your stuff. Like I don't, I'm, I'm an old guy with kids. Like I'm not out in the clubs. <laughs> yeah, so but, I don't know yeah. everything that's going on. If you want to be on these shows, like send me your music. And then, you know, I'm looking for the people who I think are going to show up and do a great job. And mm-hmm. That's all it's about. It's not easy to, to work with. Yeah, I need people who are going to show up on time and sober. And I need people <laughs> who are going to, you know, be able to deliver when they walk on stage. And, you know, 
I feel like everybody we've put on stage has been really excellent. Um, you know, I'm not going to lie and say everybody's been equally excellent, sure. but I feel like everybody's done a good job. Um, but there's no question that my part of what I'm trying to do is just find people who can kill it, who can show up and do something that will be memorable. I love it. Love it, love it, love it when I go to the after party and people are like arguing over which song was best yeah. and then being like, oh, wait, no, maybe that one. So, but that's all about, you know, this is all a vehicle towards getting a, the kids on stage in the Yosa to have a life-changing experience. That's yeah. the number one criterion. But I also want San Antonio's local music scene to be on stage in the main hall of the Tobin Center. For sure. This, this world-class venue that we have you know, normally it's Paul McCartney and Steven Tyler and Lionel Richie, and it's and it's all kinds of great mega stars on that stage, which is fine. That's appropriate. But through these shows, I have a chance for a band that is a local treasure to get on that stage in front of 1,500, 1,600, 1,700 people and blow the roof off the place. Mm-hmm. It's a meaningful experience for the band, and hopefully it's bringing new fans to local music. For sure. So I'm trying to do that with um, in a different way with the scene in general. I'm working with the San Antonio Symphony on a tribute to Emilio Navarra, the Tejano star, um, that would be happening soon uh, at the Majestic and would again be about trying to have the, the San Antonio Symphony be more meaningfully connected to San Antonio music and San Antonio audiences who aren't already um, the classical music base. Mm-hmm. Sure. So again, you can find that on the Yosa website. I'm going to have that link hopefully for our listeners here in the description of this podcast. So you heard it. Troy Peters wants your music. Send him your music. Send him your videos of you doing one of the Eagles songs and you could be on stage at the Tobin Center. So it's that easy. I mean, just be really good. Exactly. <laughs> and, and definitely want want it and uh, have a good time. And, you know, let me throw one more thing sure. out there. Be yourself. Like, I, I'm not looking <clears throat> for... Um, like the world's greatest Eagles tribute band. I mean, obviously, if I find somebody that like does a killer note for note, like that could be an interesting part of the show. Sure. But I'm absolutely just as interested in a, you know, a, a punk rock version or a uh, Americana version of a of a rock song or a rock version of a country song mm-hmm. or, you know, of uh, you know, just hearing something that sounds like you i want to hear what your how your band's personality can come into this music and through Mm -hmm. this music um some of the most exciting moments on the past show have been bands who are a good match for the material but also make it their own so yeah you know really really it's always fun seeing especially whenever you know a name or if you don't know a name of a of a band that's going to be up next and you say i really like this song i don't know this band how are they going to do it? And and you're just there in the audience and it's just a fantastic experience and it's just mind-blowing. That really, when we did Oh Darling, for me, and I saw the video recently because Adam Tudor retweeted or, or put it back on my radar because I have it on my website, but I watched it and I was like, man, that was really good. That was an intense experience and I definitely, if you're not going to send in the music, definitely go check it out coming this March, yeah? Yep. Early March, March 12th, Early March. I think we're doing it. Mm-hmm. And um, yeah, and you know, that Oh Darling with Allison Alonzo fronting Sugar Skulls, yeah. you know, like Allison has become a real uh, favorite. She's been in, actually in all three of, of the shows so far, um, which I, you know, I love her. I may have to like put her on the bench for this one just sure. because I deliberately don't want to have everybody, you know, the same people coming back all the time. For sure. But, you know, Allison's an example of somebody who's made these songs her own in every show. She's mm-hmm. taken a song where she put her own spin on it. Um, but also, you know, for people who already loved the song, they got what she was doing. For people who didn't know the song, they connected with what she's doing. And, you know, it's it's just a, that's what's exciting about this is how can we um, share culture? How can we've got in we've got in this material stuff that all of us kind of know, uh, you know, even elementary school kids have heard the song Hotel California or they've heard. Um, let's go crazy or they've heard you know the uh, they they know these little fragments sure. of of um here comes the sun you know yeah. and so then when that gets reinvented and reapproached it's it's like all of us go oh okay 
And so I love that thing of, of shared culture. I feel like one of the downsides of the internet, there's a lot of upsides in internet for music, right? Uh-huh. But one of the downsides is we don't have as much shared culture. For sure. Um, I mean, everybody has to listen to the shape of you right now, but like we're not mainly all hearing the same songs. No. And that's a blessing, but it's also you miss something, you know, when, when, sure. when we all could, could get... Um, you know, nostalgic or fired up about this one thing that we all kind of love. Mm-hmm. I guess Despacitos has a little bit of that right now. <laughs> yeah, it's been there for a while. Uh, one last question I want to know. What is the future for Yosa or what's the future for Troy Peters? Do we have you in San Antonio for forever now? Or, or I mean, it's okay if you, you know, of course go somewhere else, but like what's sort of in the next five-year plan or have you thought of it have you not what what's going on with you in the future so i'm 48 years old and if there's one thing i've learned in the 30 years of my professional career it's that um all of my predictions have always been wrong okay about when i think about where my career is headed when i thought i was trying to go somewhere else i ended up staying where i was and when i thought i was staying where i was was in some cases i went somewhere else and you know i mean the bottom line for me is um, I'm not looking to go anywhere. I'm, I'm, my wife and I live here and our kids are going to school here and we, we are happy with this town. I love this scene. What I want to do is keep going down the road I'm on in terms of creating um, opportunities for musicians to, for young musicians to discover themselves through music and creating opportunities for a community to believe in its, in its culture. Um, what I really fundamentally deep down cherish more than anything else or I'm committed to is that classical music is going to mean more to you than you think it is. I think most people who aren't stupid would love Beethoven if they could spend some time with it. Just like I think most people, if they listen openly, would love Prince. Just like I think most people, if they really listen closely, would love Kendrick Lamar. Like, great music is going to welcome you if you come to it with an open heart and open ears. So I think in, I think a lot of people just assume classical music offers them nothing. And I'm really, really, really interested in trying to find a way to go, come on, come over here, listen. For and sure. listen, we want you here. This is not, I know there's some elements of this experience that are off-putting and weird, but the music is kick-ass. And like, come connect with this because it's gonna, it's gonna mean something to you. Mm-hmm. That's awesome. Mr. Peters, thank you. Thank you for being here. Thank you for being on the podcast. Thanks for having me. That's it. That's the show. That's my conversation with Troy Peters. Again, he wants to hear your music. Go to the link in the description of this podcast. Send him a YouTube video of you playing an Eagle song, and you could be on his next concert in March. It's that simple, guys. If you have a band, submit your music. If you are a fan of classical music, if you're a fan of music in general, go to a Yosa concert. Yosa has helped many young musicians and it has helped me honestly we talked about my experience with yosa in china and honestly that really catapulted me into the next level of musicianship in between high school going into college and beyond i have so much gratitude and so grateful for how yosa shaped my life in the beginning and i love it and troy peters fantastic person amazing if you ever had the chance to meet him go ahead talk to him talk to him at a show or anything like that go for it he is fantastic i want to end the show with a song that i was on which i had the chance to be on their abbey road live concert at the tobin center here in san antonio texas with yosa so this is allison alonzo and sugar schools which is me and a bunch of other amazing musicians past musicians you've heard on other episodes jeff palacios adam george jerry and pretty much every, everybody's been <laughs> everybody in sugar schools pretty much has been on the podcast at some point but you all know them you've heard them before let's let's listen to allison alonzo's and sugar schools playing old darling with the yosa group again thank you so much if you want to follow me on all my stuff i'm jules the human at jules the human on pretty much everything jules the human.com i do another podcast and everything podcast whatever go follow and like this podcast subscribe tell your friends leave an itunes review all that good stuff at texas music pod at texas music podcast on instagram again thank you so much guys really appreciate it till next time thanks and have a good night Oh, darling, please believe me, I'll never do you no harm, 
listening to the Texas Music Spotlight Podcast. Be sure to subscribe to the podcast and visit our website, texasmusicspotlight.com, to find out how you can be a part of the live recordings. Until next time, please continue to support local artists and music in your hometown. Yeah!